And it's just an hour. And many of us waste an hour and we don't even know it. And then on a day like today, you're like, Ugh. This morning we're going to talk about uh, something of utmost importance and something that um, something that needs to be not only passed along but um, I don't know how a, a nice way to say it so I'm just I'll just say it the way I'm thinking it this morning which is my concern is uh, for future generations that they have never known the manifest presence of God. They've known church. They've maybe even been in, in praise and prayer sessions, but, but there is nothing like the presence, the show up, don't know what to do presence of God. And I've been privileged to have been in services like that when you don't, you really don't know what to do. Do I, do I praise? Do I pray? Do I just fall on my face? Do I, what, what do I do when the presence of God shows up? And I'm, and I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about something that we can whip up. I'm not talking about a guest speaker. I'm talking about when the presence of God comes in and everybody knows it. You know what is the presence of God and you know what isn't the presence of God. And if you've never been there, it's not an indictment on you this morning. It's, it's just us as a, as, a, as a body of believers, just as us, just for new life this morning, that it's, it's something to be pursued. It's something you don't want to miss out on. It's something that is not as mystical as you think that it is. But it's something that the Bible has talked about from cover to cover. From the very beginning, God has always wanted to be in the midst of his people. Not distant, not far off. If you go back to the journey in the desert, he set up a template, a foreshadowing of, of what it would be like for us in heaven, where God is in the middle, and all of his people, all the nations, would encamp around him in a specific order, so that everyone would have equal access, and that everyone would remember who is at the center of their lives. That's what's changed, and that's why we see that it's getting harder for people to have a present-centered life, is that for many of us, Jesus is not at the center of our lives. We're at the center of our lives, and then Jesus is somehow trying to get in. And again, no guilt or condemnation this morning, just what I've observed. But I also want to tell you that God's real plan is to be back at the center. And that if we'll seek him and pursue him, we'll find his presence. And in this next little slide, I guess, it, I don't want you to make it sound like it's a, a movie or the Matrix or, or something else, but this is just out of my heart this morning. This has been, this has been rich on me and, and something I want to share with you. But, but here's, here's my reality. Maybe it's, it's not for you, but it is for me this morning. You know something's missing. You know there's something missing when God's presence doesn't feel close. You know that there's something. You may not be able to grasp it. You may not be able to quantify it. When you come to church and, and there doesn't seem to be, quote, something, when it isn't there, you know it's missing. You you know something's missing in your prayer life, in your marriage, in your times of praise and worship. You know something's missing. You know deep down there's more than just church attendance. You know deep down that there's more than just reading your word, just more than 
getting together. You know that there's something more that's available, but it just seems to elude you. You know you want it. You know you need it. But right now, you're not so sure how to get it or to find it. And I want to share the good news with you this morning that it may be closer than you think. You don't have to travel someplace. You see, there was a time in my life that there was a lot of uh, revivals and conferences and all kinds of stuff going on and had the privilege of going to those, but one of the things that I saw was the outcome of that or the I guess the the falsehood of that is that somehow people would go someplace, whether it be Toronto or Pensacola or whatever, they would experience the presence of God, but they would try to remanufacture it back where they came from. And so they thought they had to sing the same songs and do the same things, that somehow it's a formula. If I just do A plus B, God's presence shows up. And I'm here to tell you God's presence is just as strong here You don't have to go someplace. You don't have to listen to somebody. Because really what preps us for that is expectation. You hear about something happening, you get excited, and you begin to expect that great things are going to happen. And you're the one that's prepped, not the place. But if we would have that in our personal lives if we would expect the presence of God to show up when we pray, when we praise, when we come together, when we come together as a group, when we come together just as, as a small group, as a, as a life group, or, or just whoever you're meeting with, if you'd expect it and seek it and hunger for it, we'd find it. And so I don't know, obviously, all there is to know about God's presence, but I can tell you this. It'll change you. It'll change a church. I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen the presence of God break up churches, not because of the presence of God, because people don't know how to handle it, and people get caught up in it, and it reveals sin and problems in our humanity. And there are people that have always been hungry for the presence of God, But when it shows up, it's not all goosebumps and good feelings. Sometimes it's conviction. Sometimes God shows up and says, you better get this straightened out because this is nonsense. Sometimes God shows up and says, you better stop that because you're in addiction. You're in a bondage. And if you don't stop it, you're going to be a slave to it. And that's not always so fun. Sometimes it's a big x-ray of our soul (laughs) that looks deep into places we don't want to talk about. And reveals our true nature. Whether we really want his presence or whether we just want a good service so we can say, Whoo! That was good. And we go home and nothing changes. Because I've been in the presence of God and it has changed me. And I still have a hunger for it. It's something I'm still pursuing. But I don't have to go someplace. I don't have to talk to somebody. I don't have to buy a ticket. I don't have to attend a conference. I don't have to schedule a revival. God's presence can be as close to you as you want it to be. The question is, are you hungry? And even Jesus himself said that, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. What are you hungry and thirsty for? I know this is a hard time to talk about this before lunch, right? (laughs) But therein lies the problem. Jesus also said, my kingdom is not food and raiment or clothes. (laughs) That's what the Gentiles pursue. That's what the unbelievers pursue. We have to live in that tension of being alive here on this earth to be outside of heaven 
but desperately wanting his presence, wanting his power, wanting his glory. And that's the thing that can change us in an instant. <laughs> It'll strip away all your excuses. And I'll deal with this heavy part before I move on. You see, that's the real problem with God's presence, is that we are people of excuses. At a point in my life when I was much younger and much dumber, I was in the service, went through a, a process, a selection process, where they, quote, try to weed out those that shouldn't be there or belong. And, and I've seen the same process through jobs and church and and just kind of a pecking order in our human society. And I'm here to tell you that the reason that most people quit, the reason most people back up, the reason most people can't move forward in Christ is not because of the burden of their sin. It's because of an excuse. I saw it when I was in the service. Oh, I can't keep going. My, I got an old back injury. I got a knee injury. I got a, I've got an excuse. And so from the get-go, I just want to ask you this morning before I move into the good stuff, what's your excuse that's keeping you from being fully obedient and fully experiencing the presence of God? I'm too busy. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. My parents, dot, dot, dot. My wife my kids, my... Something happened at my last church. Something happened at this church. I had a fallout with... What's your excuse from stepping in to the incredible, powerful, glorious presence of God and having Him change you forever? Not in a revival service, just during a church service where God's word is spoken clearly and plainly without a lot of rah-rah. Could God come into this house this morning so rich and so wonderful that we could all never be the same? Certainly. But I can't make it happen. No one can. Either God shows up or he don't. And it's only when we try to manufacture it that people get hurt and churches are damaged. But when we all become hungry and thirsty for the presence of God, not trying to quantify it or say it needs to come in a certain way, we just get hungry for him, God knows it and God begins to show up. But what comes to the surface every time is excuses. I won't go to the altar because... We never say them out loud, but it's those little excuses trapped in our hearts and our minds. Let's move into the good stuff here. All that's just to prep this next thing. Why would we even want the presence of God? Great question. Psalm 16, says this, You will show me the path of life. Look at this. In your presence is fullness of joy. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, the fullness of joy where you don't care what anybody else is thinking or feeling and you feel like it's just you and God and you can stand and you can shout or you can dance, you can move, you can sit quiet and allow tears to run down your face as joy just overwhelms your soul. I've been there, have you? Again, I don't know what to do. I, do I stand? Do I... Do we keep preaching? Do we keep singing? Do we, do we just shut up and all fall on our faces and hope that this never goes away? Or what do we do? We don't know what to do, but it is such a joy to be in that moment. But notice he says that the path of our life is linked to the presence of God. Do you see that? You're going to show me the path of life, and in your presence, 
Real life is in his presence. Do you realize we're going to spend eternity in his presence? That's real life. This is not real life. This is just a glimpse. This is just a vapor. This is just the time that we have between birth and eternity. What will you do with it? What have you done with it? We should be seeking after his presence. There is this fullness of joy. Look at this. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That sounds like a good time to me, doesn't it? There's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, or delights, or good things. That's what that pleasure means. Think about that. In God's presence is fullness of joy. That means that you are so full of it, everything else gets pushed out. It's impossible to have fullness of joy and grief, or guilt, or shame, or sin in his presence. It gets pushed out by the fullness of joy. That's what fullness means, right? There's not room for one more thing. But let's be honest this morning. How many full of joy Christians have you met? Sometimes they can be griping, whining, complaining, dysfunctional people. But if we would come and seek the Spirit of God, the presence of God, we would understand the fullness of joy. And it doesn't mean that every situation is joyful. Joy means that what's on the inside happens despite what's happening on the outside. That's the difference between joy and happiness. I may not be happy, but I can be full of joy. My whole world can be falling apart, but the peace and the joy of God that stays in me deep abiding and won't leave me is there no matter the circumstances. That's the goodness of God. That's the path for our life, is to keep walking in God despite the circumstances, despite the falls, despite all the mess that we have, because we've got fullness of joy. And I find that joy in His presence, not filling my life with stuff. I find that the less that I have, maybe the more fullness I'll have. We get filled up with other things. And what's interesting is, uh, I've got a couple words at the bottom of that slide there. That first word is panim, and that's that word presence. But what's interesting is it doesn't really mean presence, it means face. I think all too often, as Christians, we're not seeking the face of God, we're seeking the hand of God. I want his blessings. I want what he gives me. You're like kids looking at grandpa for the candy or the money that he pulls out of his pocket. And we don't care what he's looking at and how he looks. We just want his blessings instead of, I want his face. I want his presence. I want to look in his eyes and see him, not just what he gives me. And so he says this very specifically. When we come before his face, technically the whole term means when his face turns on me, there is fullness of joy. Are you hungry for that? And then Psalm 37, look what he says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your place, not in your stuff. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I just tell you that this is a boomerang, that as you delight yourself in the Lord, that that's the most pleasing thing you do? Guess what he'll give you more of? More of him. Because if he is what delights your heart, he will give you more of himself, and that process keeps going. The problem is we usually short-circuit that, and we have something else we desire more than him. And that's that second word, the anag, which means to delight, but it really means this, be soft, pliable, moldable. Think about that for just a minute. Be moldable in the Lord. Romans 12.1 tells us that we should no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind. You see, the world's trying to fit us into a form, press us into its own shape, and God says, no, I want you to be soft and pliable in my presence. I want you to be mine, and I will mold you, and I will make you, and you will find delight. And when you find your delight in me, when you find that you're soft in me, then I can give you more. I'll give you the desires of your heart because the true desires of our heart is God's presence. The true desire of our heart is fullness of joy, full forgiveness. Feeling like we belong in him is what we truly desire, but we struggle with that and we begin to fill it with other stuff. What do you desire? What do you want from God this morning? Some of you are saying more sleep, <laughs> coffee. I just want to get out of here so I can have lunch because I came here and I didn't want to hear this. I want to hear something better than this. But this is probably the most important thing we got to get, church. Because if we miss his presence, I'm just going to level with you this morning, just off the cuff right here. We can do church without him but we can't be changed without him. We can level laws and legalism and rules and mandates, and I can try my hardest to try to change your behavior, but if we're never in God's presence, he'll never change your heart. And he's not after behavior modification, he's after heart transformation, because when our heart gets transformed, we are changed. The problem is the church for too long has been after behavior modification. All the exteriors. God says it's not about the exteriors. It's about the interior. I want to know your heart. I want to know if you're hungry for me. I want to know that if there's a spot in there that I can come in and fill. And when I do come in and fill, there's fullness of joy. And my peace I will give to you. Not like the world has peace, but only the type of peace that only God can give. And every time he meets somebody that's ready for that, their life has changed. The woman at the well, a little man named Zacchaeus, who didn't pray a sinner's prayer, but understood the presence of God and his life was changed. And Jesus said, surely salvation has come to this house today. To the woman caught in adultery, her life changed right there on the spot. She didn't receive judgment. She stood or, or knelt or however she was in the presence of God, Jesus, and her life was changed. Just like it should be for us. We're called into this place to meet corporately, but if we can't pursue it personally, we're going to struggle with the presence of God. His presence is not dependent on numbers. His presence is just dependent on an empty heart that will cry out for him. Will you delight yourself in the Lord, which means that my delight, my heart pursuit, what will fill me up the most will be him? Or will it be something else? It's what I can't answer, but Again, I go back to what those excuses are. You don't understand. I do understand. I've been there. Been there. Done that. Lived it. Not out of guilt this morning. There's no guilt in any of this. He's washed away the guilt by his blood. The question is, you're the only one keeping you out of his presence. No one else, so wash away that excuse. It's not me, it's not the church, it's not what you've been through, it's not anything else. The only excuse is you are hungry for his presence. And I'm hoping that you will be by the time we get done. Not just today, but as we continue to press into this. Let's talk about another passage of his presence. A lot of it in the Psalms, Psalms 97. Seven verses, and this is powerful. I, I hope that you, that you can endure a little bit of teaching this morning. Because I'm not so sure that we understand this as, a, as the, 
the definition of his presence or something that we, we really want to know. I mean, I've heard all about his presence and all the woohoo and people jumping over pews and hanging off of chandeliers and sweating and snotting and spitting, and, but that has nothing to do with this type of presence. Look what it says. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let's just pause right there for a minute. Let that sink in. Who reigns? Now that means to rule, to have ultimate power. Does sin have ultimate power over your life? The Lord reigns. Does your past have ultimate power over your life? No. The Lord reigns. Do you have ultimate power over your life? The Lord reigns. Moving on. Let the earth rejoice. Look at what happens when his presence shows up. Rejoicing. Right? Let the multitude of the isles be glad. Everything around is going to be glad. There's going to be this happiness. There's going to be this joy. Verse 2, look at this. Clouds and darkness surround him. Well, if he wants us to be in his presence, why clouds and thick darkness? It's to protect you. You see, his presence is so powerful that if we were to stand in his presence without it, it's like being exposed to a nuclear radioactive blast. It kills our flesh. No man can stand in his glory. And he comes down to meet with us. Notice that he comes down, but he calls us to step into the cloud. You want to know who I am? I clothe myself not to hide, but so that you're protected, and then I invite you to come in and find me. I invite you to step into what you do not know. I invite you to push past that dark place, past what you've known into what you do not know, and you will find fullness of joy. Moving on. Notice this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Again, he reigns and rulers sit on thrones, but what's the foundation of that throne? Righteousness. Justice. Number three, a fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. That can be scary. What's the enemy that keeping you from the presence of God. Your sin, your shame, your past, your relationships, your job, your materialism, your excuses. Notice that it says that fire goes and it's consummation. Just like he said in the Old Testament that he would want that whole city consumed so that nothing is left between you and him. It's not an act of violence. It's an act of saying, I don't want anything competing between you and me. You get it this morning? Do you see how hungry he is for your presence? I want to remove every barrier. I want to remove every foe that stands between you and me so that you can step into my presence. Number four, his lightnings light up the world. Where God is, even though he's in clouds and thick darkness, he always brings light. There's an old song we used to sing, there's no shadow of turning in thee. He is pure Light. That's what scares us sometimes about his presence. And I remember one of those experiences that I had before me of, of, again, being saved, but being in the presence of God where it felt like he turned on this glorious x-ray and it was the scariest experience I've ever had. And yet the most glorious. Where it felt like he looked into every part of my soul, my mind, my heart, and and I kept wanting to turn away, and yet I never felt judgment. I only felt love. And in this vision, I'll remember the first part of that experience, and then just kind of like God just doing a, a download, a deep pouring, a deep cleansing into me. And it was... I was unaware of time, and the people that were with me hours later, as God began to ungrip me, or however you want to call it, 
The next thing I remember saying is, don't go. And I went from, this is painful, this is terrifying, maybe this isn't for me, to don't go. And to have that feeling like his presence was retreating. But the reality was, it wasn't for me to stay in the vision. My reality was to get up and walk in his presence. You can't stay at the mountaintop. You can't stay in the cloud forever. We weren't designed to, nor is it feasible. It's for us to meet with God and walk in his presence daily. You see, he's given us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go someplace. He's already made a deposit in us of his presence. Look at this. Second part of verse 4, the earth sees and trembles. Look at this. When he begins to light things up, people see and tremble. It's going to expose some stuff. It's going to light you up. And that's a good thing. We shouldn't be afraid of that. God, light us up. Right? Think about the next time you're in worship. Instead of thinking, oh, pastor always wants me to be free, be loose. How about little lightning rods? Light me up. What if he did? Number five, look at this. What happens in the presence of God? The mountains melt like wax. Those long-standing, hard, tall barriers and borders that we think we get, can't get past, what do those things do in the presence of God? There's no more excuses. All those boundaries, all those barriers, all those blockages that you think you can't get to, I melt them like wax. You have absolutely no excuse. Just come into my presence. I will melt them down. Those mountains aren't a big deal to me. We just step in. Number six, the heavens declare his righteousness. Notice that we've mentioned that twice now. And all the people see his glory. See that? He does this progression of I'm coming down and I'm lighting some things up and I'm removing some things so that all may see my glory. And some people tremble because he wants us to be in his presence he wants us to see his glory. Verse 7, he gets serious though. It doesn't end right there. Look what he says. Let all be put to shame who do what? Serve carved images. Who boast of idols. What's the, what's the path? Worship him. Notice what he says here. This takes us right back to the beginning of the verse. The Lord reigns. There is no one like him, no one beside him. There is no one like the Lord. And he says, I am telling you, you'll be put to shame if you're worshiping these other things. So don't worship these other things. Make those things worship me. I'm here to be for you and you can stand in my presence and you're going to call a service my presence you're going to call a carved thing my presence you're going to call those things God I am God you want to know what changes about step into me those things won't change you those things take you away from me those things distract you those things don't bring you righteousness So let's break this down just a little bit more here. Because of his reign, we can and should rejoice. This is about praise and be glad or be brightened. That's what that word really means. When we step into his presence, we should be glad and be brightened. Scripture, 
Moses saw the presence of God, and you know what happened? His face shone with glory. It lit him up. Now, listen to the rest of the story. This is gonna, you'll love this. If you never read it, you should read your Bible. This is good stuff. Moses has this exchange with God. He said, I'm, I'm going to send you up into the land that I've created for you. But because of these people's unbelief, I'm not going with you, but I am sending you up. And Moses said, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. And he says, you just go in and take the land. I've prepared the land for you. And Moses keeps saying, if your presence doesn't go with us, it's no use for us to go forward. And he says, we want to see your glory. And God says, no flesh can stand in my glory. You'll die. Moses says, I get that. Show me your glory. God said, there's a, a little notch in the rock right there. You stand in that rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass by. You couldn't handle my full-on frontal glory. And as I pass by, I'll remove my hand. And it says he saw the passing glory of God, the, the, the retreating glory of God. And after that, he comes down from the mountain. His face is shining so much that everybody is like, Obviously, he's been in the presence of God. But then you know the next thing that they said? You're making us nervous with the glowing face. Please cover the glory of God that's shining on you. Notice that their response was not, how do I get that? Moses, would you, would you share the glory with me? Would you show me how to get the glory? What does it take to get the glory of God? Nope, their first response was, would you cover that up? That makes us uncomfortable. And I'm here to tell you, when the presence of God, when the glory of God shows up, it will make some people uncomfortable. And they'll want you to cover your glory. So much so that thousands of years later, we now have a temple that has a veil that shields the glory of God from the people. And yet he always wanted to be at the midst of his people. Moving on, that clouds and darkness that cover him, that's to keep us alive and also to invite us into that unknown. That fire goes before him. It's an act of consummation and protection. He's removing the enemies of our soul, removing the things that will distract us. He's lighting up the world, and it trembles. He's removing dark places. Do you really want his presence when he begins to remove dark places? Big question. Hard, long-standing barriers begin to melt like wax. He removes our excuses. He removes anything that keeps us from his presence. Now, I'm going to take a little side note here. We talked about that veil in the temple. Here's what's crazy. On the day Jesus Christ was crucified, that, that veil was torn, symbolizing that my presence is now available for everybody, not just the high priest on one day of the Day of Atonement to go in. Now it's available to anybody. And somewhere along the way, they put the veil back up. Religious people, law keepers, legalists, said, wait a minute, they tore this up. We can't have that. We can't have everybody coming into his presence. They put the veil back up. But Jesus made sure it was torn for a reason so that we'll have access to the presence of God. He wants us to have access to his presence. Those who serve other gods will be shamed and commanded to worship him. Notice that there's rejoicing, praising, being glad. It's about worshiping God for who he is, the fact that he hasn't already killed us. Have you thought about that? Sinful, dark people. 
in the fact that he hasn't just said, done, I'm starting over again. The fact that he didn't drop us in the spot when we come in here distracted and we don't even care about his presence when we come in here. We don't want to sing. We want to stay outside. We're not going to worship him. We're going to go through. We're going to have all these excuses. The fact that he didn't just disintegrate us on the spot is a show of his grace and his mercy. Because Old Testament, you do it wrong, you die. So you better do it right. We should be so thankful for his mercy and grace as New Testament believers, right? Right? His presence is available to anybody, not just the ultra elite. His presence is available to you and you and you and me. Anybody, anywhere, anytime. So here's why I believe it may be closer than we think taking those words that he repeats a couple of times about his righteousness. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Are you there? Now what's funny is this kind of jumps out in the middle of a, of a place where we think that it's about how to act and Depending on your Bible, he talk, we're talking about right in the middle of not worrying. But it completely ties into Psalm 97, if we'll just read the word together. Notice what he says. In the midst of all this stuff that we could be seeking about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to put on our body, all of these things, he comes in in verse 33, and he says... Why don't you seek first the kingdom of God and his, what? What did Psalm 97 refer to twice about his presence, his righteousness? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all that stuff you're worried about, all the, all the stuff you think that you've got to spend your time on, you just seek me and I'll take care of all of that. See how easily distracted we are? Now this is pretty simple as we, as we close this up. He says, seek him first. Why? Because I'm simple enough to believe that we seek and we'll find what we seek. And whatever you find first is what you're going to put your attention on. Right? So if I'm not looking for him, I'm looking for something else, I'm going to find that thing, and he won't be the first thing I'm looking for, the first thing I'm thinking about, first thing I'm pursuing. But he says, you're pursuing all these other things. You're worried about all this other stuff. You just seek me Go back to the Psalms, right? And in my presence is, you don't have to worry about what you eat and drink and wear and all this stuff. You just delight yourself in me and you'll have all of this forevermore. The problem is you get distracted. We get distracted. We're distracted people. Did you know that most people forget this end part, but... Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 13 and 14, he, he says something pretty powerful. He says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And then he goes on in verse 14, he says, and I will gather you back from all the places you've been captive. Really what he's saying, all those places where you worshipped other gods. Remember how 97 ended? You'll be put to shame, those of you that worship false gods. Why? You forgot what you were supposed to be seeking. You know what you should be seeking? Me, he says. You seek after me. You seek after my presence. And then you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I'm not playing hide and seek. I just want to know what you're seeking. And he says it in a specific order. Seek first the kingdom of God. Why do we seek the kingdom of God? Because kingdoms are where kings are at. Duh. We're supposed to be kingdom people. We're supposed to be presence people. It's not about us. It's about seeking the king. And we should be learning how to be kingdom people. 
which means he sets the standards. That means he sets the values. That means that he sets the rules, not us. Do you want to be a presence person? Seek first the kingdom of God. Secondly, he says to seek his righteousness. Why? Because without it, we can't see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no way see the kingdom of heaven. Not by keeping more laws, but you know what he's saying? Who is your righteousness? You aren't righteous because you do this or do that. You know what makes you righteous? Jesus. Jesus' blood makes you righteous. It's the only thing that cleanses us, the only thing that saves us from sin. It's the only thing that allows us to come into the presence of God. I don't care how often you attend Sunday school. I don't care how much you pay or play or any of that stuff. The only thing that gets us into the presence of God is Jesus. And when we have that, then we can come boldly. But without that righteousness, there will be a payment, and it'll cost you your flesh. We seek Him. We seek that righteousness. The Bible throughout the New Testament says that He has become our righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Without Him, we cannot get into His presence, but with Him, we have full access. But we get distracted. We get deceived. We start following other things. And this is why many people don't know how to get into the presence of God. You don't have to go someplace. You just have to seek Jesus, make him number one. Seek him first. But Pastor, I've, I've got kinds of needs. I've got to read that chapter again, chapter six. You've got this that you're worrying about, this that you're worrying about, this that you're worrying about. If I'm God, do you think I can't fix that other stuff? But if you get that other stuff fixed and you don't have me, you're worse off. You need me and I'll fix the rest of that stuff but we get distracted. When we find him and his righteousness, then we find the fullness of joy. So I'll tell you what scares us out of God's presence is we start focusing on us and we know we're not righteous and we know we've got sin and we know we haven't behaved right and thought right, and we haven't prayed enough, but that's the stuff that keeps us out of his presence. But his fullness, Jesus Christ and his blood alone is what gives us access to it. Not your prayers. Not your humility. It's only through the blood and power of Jesus Christ. And lastly, when we delight ourselves in him, he gives the desires of our heart, which should be more of him. And I know you've heard this before, but when we get to heaven, you know it's going to be for a really long time. Let this be a gut check for some of you. Not only are you going to be in God's presence forever, but there's going to be continual worship. Oh, well, I hope it's not loud. Read the Bible sometimes. Angels shouting of his glory. Think about that. I just can't stand loud worship. Well, you better have a fun time in hell. Do you see what I'm saying? People get all distracted about this stuff, about tone and volume and this and that. When you get to heaven and angels are saying, Holy! Well, that's just too loud. Jesus wouldn't be like that. you got to read your word. It's going to be loud. It sounds like the voice of many rushing waters. What does that sound like? Babble, babble, brook, babble, babble, babble. Soft. Or does it sound like all of creation that has accepted Jesus at the top of their voice, pouring out from him, singing, Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come and it just keeps coming out. You can't even stop it. It's just pouring out of you. 
You think about that. And it doesn't have to be loud and shouting, but you see what I'm saying? We get so caught up on our own heads instead of let's just seek his presence. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him. Seek that presence. Not only that, but we're going to be busy doing God's work forever. You think one of my services are long. What about being in heaven forever? No more sleep. That you're only doing the good works God has told you to do. Well, what about vacation? We will not be sitting on clouds with our little wings strumming a harp. I mean, that's my version of hell, harp music forever. We will be ruling and reigning with the king of kings, busy about his work. It will not be a one hour, then get back to your lifetime. It will be God 24-7. There won't even be more night. There will only be day. And if that sounds bad to you, you need to read your word. And maybe you need to change your heart. And ask yourself, am I just pursuing him for the stuff I can get? Or do I really want his presence? Because his presence lays bare your heart. And his presence finds out whether you'll step into the cloud. Step into what you don't see. Seek my face, not just my hands. And we'll have fullness of joy. Now here's the final question. Pastor, why, why even talk about this? I'm glad you asked. Wouldn't that be attractive to the world? To have such joyful presence on our lives that people would be attracted to that instead of, are you keeping the rules? Don't you know you're going to hell? Are you being a rule breaker? Blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that the church has been known. If we would be presence people full of his joy and our heart delights in him, do you not think that would be incredibly attractive to the world around us that is broken and hurting and desperate? I believe it would be so attractive. We wouldn't have to say anything about hell. We'd just say, how do you, how do you get like that? Let me show you. We just come into his presence. And in that presence, they're changed and healed and absolved and unburdened in a moment that may take us years through our human effort. So church, I don't want to force anything on you. We're not going to have a series of meetings, revivals, but I'm asking you, what are you hungry for? And please don't let your answer be, I want it to be back like it was. Wrong answer. The answer should be, I want to be in God's presence. You don't get to define it. He defines it. You don't get to determine it. He comes. But his real question is going to be, will you put me at the center? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.